And if you don't know me, David, I'm the team leader here, and um, it's great to see you. Uh, Rachel just instructed me to take my hat off. Now, to be honest, I often feel a bit uneasy wearing a hat in church, because I kind of, kind of brought up men don't wear hats in church and women do, but I can't see any women with hats on, so I thought it's all right to put it on, but uh, anyway, anyway I'll, just, I'll do what Rachel says and life works out fine. <laughs> um, me and Martin have a little cry together sometimes, don't we, Martin? But, uh, no, sorry. Bit of banter. <laughs> um, we're starting a new series, just a three-week series, post-Easter. And when we think about Easter, what did Jesus leave behind? I mean, he, he's going to be ascending. We'll celebrate ascension a bit later down. But basically, Jesus' death, uh, resurrection, then goes to be with the Father. What does he leave behind? Well, he does leave a legacy of words and deeds that are remembered, for sure. And we've got those in the New Testament. He did leave behind a community of people who were his followers. And he left us the Holy Spirit. And it's those three things, really, that... Um, are the tools in many ways for us in our discipleship because we wanted to, to live post-Easter in the light of who Jesus is and what he's called us to. And uh, there's a little slide I'll just put up. You know, one of my heroes is a man called John Wimber. Do put that slide up if you don't mind. Uh, it's the, and John used to say, if you converted, then you're converted to Christ, his cause and his church, those three C's of conversion. We're followers of Jesus. But if we're followers of Jesus, then we must be um, captured by the cause of Christ and also part of the church of Christ. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to think about what it means to be devoted to God, what it means to be devoted to God and, and, and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what it means to be devoted to one another as the church family, devoted to the mission of Jesus Christ, to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And another, another Christian leader, Mike Breen, developed a whole series of life shapes. This is his triangle, up, in, and out. And basically, what is a church? A church is, a, is an up, in, and out community. A church is the people who love God, love one another, and love the world and are on a mission. And um, that's true for you as an individual follower of Jesus, but it's also true for us as a community of people who follow Jesus. So we want to explore over the next three weeks what it means to... To, to obey that command to love God. And, and obviously it's a challenge, isn't it? Because a command to love is a very particular command. How do you do that? So Hazel actually is going to unpack all of that for us today. So welcome, Hazel. Great to have you preaching. Thanks, Dave. Great. If you don't know me, my name is Hazel, and I'm part of the team here, and it's lovely to see you all. So we're thinking about being devoted to God. And devoted, the word devoted is quite a strong word, isn't it? It's not a passive word. It's not sort of a, mm, you know, sort of in, sort of not. It's an all-in kind of posture that we take. It denotes single-mindedness, implies sacrifice, and it requires persistent determination to be devoted to something, to a cause or to someone. The definition is this. Being devoted to something means being focused on that particular thing almost exclusively. When you're devoted to a cause, you work to achieve its goals. When you're devoted to a person, you place their needs above your own. Now, being devoted can be positive and negative, obviously, depending on what you're devoted to. You might hear people say, oh, they're really devoted to one another, talking about a couple, or, oh, he's so devoted to that dog. 
I've got a dog, I love my dog. Um, or you might hear them say, oh, she's really devoted to her job, it totally consumes her life. Or, you know, they're completely devoted to those children. The Greek word for devotion, however, in the Bible is proskuno, which means, it's the same word for worship, it literally means to bow down, to worship, to kiss the ground, and as an expression of reverence and homage. And I think we all want to be devoted to something, to a cause, to a person, to give ourselves fully to something. It kind of calls out something good in us, and it gives us purpose and meaning and ultimately fulfillment. I don't know, what would people say about you this morning? What are you devoted to? What would people say about me? I hope they would say, oh, she's really devoted to Brad, that's my husband, and her boys, I've got three boys, and they might say, oh, she's really devoted to hands at work. I'm really devoted to what's going on in Africa. But what I most want people to say about me is she's really devoted to God or tries to be devoted to God. Sometimes we can be really devoted to church, to ministry, to a cause, to a kind of uh, yeah, social action thing. We're really devoted to something that we do. But what about the call in the Bible to be completely and wholly devoted to God, over and above every other thing. It's a very, very high calling on our lives. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, how do we cultivate a life that does that? How do we do that? Being devoted to God, to his kingdom, to what's on his heart, to who he is, his ways... All of us in this building, we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. We've been created to love God. That's what we'll be doing for all eternity. We'll be loving God. And we get to start now, even though it's really hard. It's not as easy as it sounds, but we know it is possible because God's called out of us. I think the call to love God with our lives calls out something brilliant in us, something great. It calls out the best version of us, the best in us. It's who we were created to be. We're made in his image. I want to be devoted to God above every other thing in my life, but there are so many other things that draw my attention, that get me distracted. My heart is all over the shop a lot of the time. Other things that take my attention, they steal my peace, they make me a bit numb, to be honest, a bit apathetic. And I'm weak, and I'm frail, and so are you. We are human, and we're having a human experience in this world, but our spirits are willing. Our spirits are more willing than you realize, because God's created them to love him. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weaker than we think, or mine is. I have idols in my life that I know about, that I put above God, and I have other idols in my life I don't even know about. It's probably the same for all of us. It's quite a battle. It's a bit of a contested place to love God. It's a high calling. And sometimes it feels too hard to really love God exclusively over and above everything else. But it is possible. I feel a bit like Paul in Romans when he says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And the things I do want to do, like love God, I don't do. What is going on. There's a kind of battle, it's a bit of our kind of flesh and our spirit having a bit of a fight on the inside. I know that I, I experienced that and I've been following Jesus since I was 13. There's a beautiful quote from a mystic called, Saint, uh, she's called Saint Therese of Lisieux from France. 
hundreds and hundreds of years ago, a lovely little nun. And this is what she says, which is really encouraging. How perfectly our hearts have been made for love. How perfectly our hearts have been made for love. Obviously, to love God. God has created us with the capacity, the ability, the desire to love him and live for him. Eternity is set in our hearts because we're spiritual beings having a human experience. We're made in his image, and, but ultimately it's down to us to choose to love God, to choose to lay the other things aside, lay down our idols and choose him over and above everything else. So I just want to look this morning about what, how we kind of move in our Christian walk. We've been following Jesus a long time, or maybe not very long, or maybe this morning not at all. What it looks like to try and be devoted to God. I think devotion to God can often start with uh, passion and vision. And when you first become a Christian, it's a bit like the sort of honeymoon period when you're married. Or, um, you know, that's the best comparison we have is marriage. We get inspired, we're full of enthusiasm. I became a Christian at 13. I was like, how has no one told me about Jesus before? It's too good to be true. This is amazing. I had this little um, diary I used to write in. I used to do my everyday with Jesus. I'd be talking to Jesus the whole time. I thought, this is amazing. But as the years went on, I sort of fell into a little bit of kind of dutifulness, a bit of kind of religious spirit a little bit, like probably we all do. And again, like a marriage, you know, I met Brad at university, and basically I just followed him around until he kind of fell in love with me. <laughs> and I just sort of used to just be wherever Brad was. Where would Brad be? He'll be at Christian Union. I'll go. Where will he be? And I would just follow him, and we would, and when we did sort of, obviously, fall in love, and uh, we just spent so much time together. I was so excited to be with him. I had that kind of butterfly feeling all the time. Every time I saw him, I was like, ooh. Um, but ultimately, the honeymoon phase doesn't last. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't last in the same way, but actually, my marriage to Brad, my relationship with Jesus has gone deeper and stronger, and it's more familiar, more secure, actually, and it's a deeper place. But you do lose a little bit of that kind of woohoo at the beginning. I still am very woohoo about you, Brad. I really am. <laughs> 23 years later. Where was I? <laughs> um, so even though we don't start in that place of religious kind of dutifulness, we kind of can move there. But there needs to be actually a posture of discipline and a posture of duty and choice to invest in our relationship with God, invest in loving him. When the feelings aren't there, when we don't really feel like it, that is what love does in a marriage and in a relationship with God. It chooses just because it's the right thing to do. And we want to put ourselves in that posture of loving God. It's sacrificial sometimes. Doing it even when we don't want to or don't feel like it. The two sisters in the Bible, Mary and Martha, and Jesus goes around to their house for tea. And Martha loved Jesus. And Mary loved Jesus. And Jesus adored them both. Uh, Martha knew how to kind of serve Jesus by doing stuff. You know, she was making the food, she was huffing and puffing in the kitchen, she was getting everything ready, and she was serving out of that place of kind of should do, must do, make it good, do this for God, do this for Jesus. But Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and she was just hanging on everywhere. She was in his presence, she was loving him. She was sort of living more of a sort of a posture of devotion as opposed to duty. And Jesus very tenderly, it's not a rebuke or a discipline, Jesus very tenderly says in Luke 10, says, Martha, Martha, 
The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it would not be taken away from her. So how can we move then from a posture of maybe where we find ourselves in that kind of should-do place to a want-to place, from duty to devotion? Matthew 6 gives us some clues about how to cultivate an inner journey, a secret life with God that is essential if we're going to call out our priorities, our inner priorities of time, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, how we actually live and what we actually do when no one is watching and no one is listening. We talk quite a lot of Woody's about a secret history with God, a secret life, when it's just you and God, the posture of your inner life, your yes in your heart is like, God, I'm choosing you. I want to love you. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, where your treasure is, oh, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Are we investing in our relationship with God? Is that your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Are you investing in your relationship with him when nothing can steal it, nothing can destroy it, nothing can take it away from you It's the only thing that ultimately matters. It's the only thing that ultimately matters, your relationship with God and your investment in your relationship with him. It's what you will take to eternity where you'll be worshipping and loving him forever is the depth of your love and devotion for God, which we get to do now. So Matthew 6 also talks about spiritual disciplines. We're not going to talk lots this morning about them, but some people refer to the disciplines as um, disciplines of intimacy, which I really like because it's a kind of opportunity and invitation to, yeah, come into a place of, of greater intimacy with him. And it's kind of ways and means to call out that kind of single-minded devotion and live in such a way that we have a more undivided heart and a more undivided life where we feel like our hearts and minds and kind of everything's a little bit scattered Matthew 6 um, includes the disciplines of giving to the poor in secret, praying in secret, fasting in secret, and seeking the kingdom of God above our own kingdoms and our own ways of doing things, laying them down, laying down those idols and saying, I choose your kingdom, I choose your ways, I choose you over and above the other things that are pulling on my, on my heart. I think we can tell a lot about ourselves, I can tell a lot about myself, from looking at my diary and looking at my bank balance. I don't know about you. How much time are we spending, all in different seasons of our lives, but how much time are we spending cultivating that relationship with God, spending time in the secret place with him, like Mary, just pouring ourselves out for him? Our other desires and calls on my energy and time, are they winning in my diary? Often they are, if I'm honest. And how much of my money am I giving away to the poor when no one knows how much I give to church, to kingdom causes, to all sorts of things? Or am I consuming more things for myself? My experience is the more I devote time to that hidden place and living in a kind of Matthew 6 kind of way to the best of my human ability with the help of the Holy Spirit, obviously, I cannot do it by myself, is the more my love for God grows And I move really slowly from a place of kind of should do this to actually I really want to do this. It's a bit of a shift, but it's slow and it's sort of steady. But I keep 
trying to do those things and I can move from a place of duty to a place of actual genuine desire. So uh, when Brad and I, before we had our boys, we spent a year at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and we had an amazing year. And the reason for going there was really to cultivate a deeper love for God, really. Uh, it's under the leadership of Mike Bickle. It's a 24-hour prayer and worship place. It's a Bible school, which we went to. And there's a prayer room where there's constant worship and prayer going on 24 hours a day. It started in September 99. It's still going. And in the prayer room, it's quite a special place. You can really experience the presence of God. There's worship. And at the beginning of my time, I distinctly remember being in the prayer room. And I remember just, you know, having my Bible, my journal, feeling like, oh, here we go. And uh, I, I really longed to meet with God. And so I sort of would put myself in the prayer room. I would pray out of worship. After about two hours, I'd be feeling a bit fidgety. I'd think, oh, I'll just go to the toilet. And then I'd just get a bit distracted. I'd look around and look at all the other really spiritual people. And there was one lady in particular, and she, I remember her, i never forget her. She had sort of grey hair, glasses, and she used to sit in front of me. And uh, she had this book that she would pray over, had photos of people she was praying for. It'd be worship set, she'd be kneeling, she'd be crying, she'd be reading her Bible, be, you know, persecuted church letters she'd be praying earnestly for. It was really inspiring. I remember I was provoked to jealousy over this lady's relationship with God and her devotion to him. And I thought... I really want to be somebody who's, who loves God like that. Anyway, we had the year. It was, it was really, really good. Um, and I remember a particular weekend where Brad and I had gone away for a weekend. And we were driving home. And I think I said to Brad, I said, I really can't wait to get in the prayer room. And that had been a very different experience from the beginning. And I remember just being in there and having one day where I went in at about sort of nine in the morning. And, um, yeah, it was just... A, a wonderful day, and I haven't probably had a day like that since, if I'm honest. But I got to about four o'clock, and I thought, oh my goodness, it's four o'clock. I missed lunch and missed all sorts of things. And I was just so, I just so enjoyed being in the prayer room. And it was, a, I really learned how to pray that year as well. And, and I'm telling that story just because the principles are the same. You know, you might not have, you might not get to have a year like that. I've never had a year like that since. But actually, something happened in me, and I moved from a place of, right, I should do this. Come on, I've come all this way to America. I must enjoy the prayer room. To actually, I really wanted to be there. And it was because I kept putting myself in, in, in that place. And I wonder, who are you? Who is your lady? Who are you jealous of? Who do you think, wow, their life is really poured out for God. I really want to be like that. Or who, where, where is your prayer room? You know, is it before you go to work? Is it in the car? Is it on a dog walk? I have a really busy life, and I'm never, I'm not going to have a year like that again, probably. Um, and it was really amazing. But I, yeah, I, I want to kind of find that place in my own life, in the busyness of the life that I lead with the job and boys and all sorts of things I'm doing. Jesus in Matthew 22 answered the same question. He quoted Deuteronomy. He said, we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. You might find it easier to, to love God with your mind, your intellect, but your heart feels a bit shut down, a bit unresponsive. You might be great at loving God with your, or your strength. Maybe you're an activist and you love doing stuff like the noise or soup run or doing loads of stuff. But there are different appetites at work, possibly, in your soul that maybe need looking at. 
You might be best at loving God with your heart, your emotions, but actually, you may be not working out your faith <laughs> or loving God in what you're doing with giving to the poor, serving and cultivating your love that way. We need them all in equal measure. All of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength. And it's a call. It's really hard. But we need God's help. As we know, we cannot do it in our own human strength. As I said at the beginning, we're weak, we're frail, we're human. But we, we, there's a kind of call on us as a church, call on us as a people to love God. It's been said, it takes God to love God. It takes God to love God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us have a softer heart, a, a kind of increased capacity for him. We can ask God to help us, but we have to put things in place. The Matthew 6 stuff, the secret life, the hidden place. Otherwise, we won't increase our love for God and we'll fall back into sort of a religious nature, a kind of way of doing things that the should do's rather than the want to's. Like Mary. I'm going to end with a quote. And this is what it says. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. I long, I yearn for the freedom and beauty of a life that is completely oriented to the reality of God. I long to experience my soul hidden and content in the very depths of God so that what is seen on the surface is transformed and energized by what takes place in those depths. The choice to orientate our life to God's transforming presence is always ours. Is that what you're longing for? I know that is for me where I feel very divided. I want to love God above every other thing, but I need his help. I want to move from duty a genuine desire to, to want to do those things. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God and you're not following him at all. I want to tell you that he's not somebody saying, you must do this, you should do this, you should fast and pray. And actually, it's a call of love. God's calling you to a life of love. It's a high calling. It draws out the best in us. It brings the best version of ourselves. To love God is what we're created for. It's an invitation for us this morning to live a life of love poured out for God, like Mary. Maybe the bumps and bruises of life have meant that actually it's really, really hard to say even that you want to love God. But you've come this morning, you said, this is, this is what I've got, you're just going to offer yourself. And God is so tender and merciful and compassionate with us that he wants to draw out just that yes, that tiny yes in your heart that says, yes, I want to. Well, maybe I don't, but I want to want to. And God can work with that because we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us and is tender and kind with us. And Jesus knows it's very difficult, <laughs> but he's given us the Holy Spirit. And remember that Jesus didn't discipline Martha. He just invited her to choose a higher calling, something that was better. just want to end with praying um, a, a psalm over us, psalm 86. It's a prayer of David. This is what it says. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. If you're feeling this morning that your heart probably all of us, <laughs> I'm going to put my hand on my heart, I feel like I really want God to be the highest priority, but very often he isn't. 
but we need God's help to do that. So I'm just going to, if you want to pray, just put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray for us to have an undivided heart before we go into communion. God, thank you that the call in our lives is to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But God, it's too hard for us. We need your help. We need your spirit to work in us, to soften us, to increase our capacity. Help us be those people that, yeah, that love you, not just with what we say, but with what we do and who we are on the inside, living an inside-out life. And God, would you give us an undivided heart? Give me an undivided heart that I would love you fully and more. Thank you that there's grace for us, there's mercy for us, and we fail all the time. But I pray that the yes in our heart would grow into something bigger. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Amen. Hazel, thank you so much. That's a really helpful word to, to inspire us, actually, and to encourage us that we can cultivate a heart for God that's greater than where we are now. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We can, we can love God more than we're loving right now. We can cultivate that. So thank you for encouraging us to do that.